important informalities. Like we do need to be praying for Miss Jackie. She's still in the hospital. Uh, and we need to be praying for everybody's health and recovery. Um, just continue to pray for the church. Pray for everybody in the church. Um, I've been trying to make a habit of doing that. Every night before I go to bed, I've been trying to visualize everybody in the sanctuary and think about everybody that comes and just lift each of us up. Because uh, <clears throat> we do have another six days when we're not here and, and we have a lot of challenges to deal with. Do you? Okay. So we have another another medical situation. Okay, is that what's going on? That's why you're getting off. Okay. All right. So, again, we just have a lot to talk about today. So it's not that I'm skipping over important things. Uh, we'll mention some of those in the in the service today. Let's go ahead and uh, we'll, if you want to start recording, but we'll open with a word of prayer and get going. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and we thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to come and study your word. We thank you for Sunday school, a time where we can ask questions, where we can peruse through your word, meditate on it, think about it, discuss it, and grow in our knowledge of it. We thank you that you are our God and our creator. We thank you for this beautiful creation that you have given us and we thank you that it declares your glory and magnifies your handiwork. You are a God who formed us out of the clay. You are a God who has breathed breath into us and given us life. And you are a God who loves us and sent your son to save us from ourselves. So thank you for this time we have together today. Please help me to stay focused um, on your truth and on your word. Uh, please help us as a class to have hearing ears and open minds and hearts to receive your truth. Um, please keep the enemy out of our thoughts. Keep us from running astray or wandering. And just help us to focus on you as our God and our creator. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you have your uh, bulletin with you, we'll start there because each week, if you all notice in the front left hand of the bulletin, um, I always make sure that we have a Bible verse and a part of our creedal statement as a way of reminding us of what we're going to be studying in Sunday school. So this is actually for uh, our visitors and guests who come in as well because they're going to open it up. I, if, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but we as human beings are very curious and we like to read things and know things. And so hopefully people are picking this up and reading that because these are, uh, first of all, the top paragraph is a verse of scripture. And then second, we have a creedal statement. So our, our jumping off point for today will be Colossians 1, verse 16. It says, for in him, being Christ, in him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. All right. So it's all about who? Him. All right. I, I just read it. Somebody made a statement this week. They said, well, I didn't feel like being at church today, you know, and uh, or the service made me feel really good today. And the statement made is if you're there for your feelings, you're not there for him. You're there for you. And we need to understand that our worship is to be focused on him, of him, through him, and to him, to whom be the glory forever. And so we talked in the past, I don't remember when it was, but I made a statement to you that said that almost all of the heresies that affect, infect the church 
all blurred the distinction or the line between creator and creation. God is the creator and we are his creation. So with that said, we're going to look at, we're going to go ahead and if you want to turn to chapter four in your uh, uh, confession of faith, we're going to, I'm just going to quickly, we're going to read these three paragraphs all together as one. Then we're going to break them down and talk about what each one of those things are teaching. Now, if you will notice, there are verses of scripture below each one of the paragraphs and they have footnotes on them. As there is a statement made, so in the beginning, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then you see footnote one. Well, it's going to show us in John uh, chapter one, verse two, that it is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that are creator. And so each one of those verses down there is important. And I'm going to encourage you to take time during the week to go back and re uh, study this and th- and go back and dig into these verses of scripture. If you notice in that first paragraph, one of the uh, verses is Colossians one sixteen. Well, where we heard that? Well, we just read it. And so we talked last week. Remember, for the, so I've been with you guys. Uh, um, I've been grateful to be with you guys for the past four months now. And we started in November with Sunday school. And if you remember, the first thing that we talked about was scripture. That was chapter one of our creedal statement. Then second, we talked about God. And then third, we talked about the decrees of God. All right, so, and, and I asked you the, the guys just last week before we closed our class out, why do you think that the writers of this confession started the confession out with chapter one, the word of God? Why did they do that? Why was that the focus and the emphasis for the beginning of the creedal statement. Why did they start with the word of God? Well, because God's word is the only way that we can know him. So if you, you would think maybe, well, let's talk about God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the most important thing. And it is. But the only way I'm going to know God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit is through his word. And so the statement, the creedal statement, was starts with the foundation that Scripture alone is our rule of faith and life. It gives us everything that we need to know and to believe. And so that is our foundation. The Bible teaches us that Jesus is the rock, Jesus is the cornerstone. Well, Jesus is the Word, and the way that we know him is through his Word. So the first chapter was on the Word of God. Then we talked about God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We talked about the attributes of God, how he's immortal, invisible, most wise. And then we talked about the decrees of God. Remember, that was chapter 3. Well, all three of those chapters discuss things that are eternal. The decrees of God, the word of God, and God himself is eternal. And they were here before the word of God God and his decrees were here before he ever said, let there be light. And one of the reasons, I'm not sure if y'all are aware, but one of the reasons that we're focusing on this creedal statement is, number one, it points us to scripture, which is most important. But two, all of these chapters are written by men who have had to confront and tangle with heresies in the church. And so all of these 
chapters all have a focus on things that were uh, needed to be our foundations of our faith. Like these are the things that the Bible teaches that are the most important things that we need to know. And any heresies that creep into the church are going to creep in through distortions of God's word, of our understanding of who God is, of God's decrees. And so all of these eternal truths are very important for us to know and to understand. So for the first three months, four months, we've, we've been three months, October, November, December, five months, right? Four, four and a half months. All of this stuff that we've been studying has a eternal relationship to, to us and our beliefs. All of this was founded before God ever said, let there be light. So today in chapter four, now we're stepping into time. All of those things are eternity past. They're God's decrees, God's word, and God is here in time with us. And not only that, in eternity, God's word, God, and God's decrees are going to be there as well. So those things are eternal. But today in chapter 4, we're now going to step into time. God created the world for me and you. He cre- well, he created it for his son. He created it for his glory. But he created it for us to live in and to inhabit. And so now we're stepping into time. So as we talk about the creation, it's very important to understand that there are a lot of heresies that the church has had to address over time about creation. Just this very week, I was on, I don't know why I argue with people on social media, but I was on WTOC Channel 11. They, uh, they posted an article that said, scientists have now discovered why humans do not have tails. <laughs> right? Now, I did not open the article and I did not read it, but this is the statement I made to them. We have monkeys, and we have men. And until you can show me one monkey man, shut up. Because their their hypothesis is that we come from monkeys. So over time, we have evolved from monkeys into men. Well, if we have men and we still have monkeys... If we are a woman, there's got to be a monkey man somewhere. Or it's a lie. And so it's funny. We laugh at that. But as Christians, by faith, we know that God created all of the animals as he created them. And he created us as his humans in his image. And the reason we don't have tails is because God created us in his image. And we just take it. You as a Christian just take it by faith that God created everything. And nothing evolved. Everything was created as it was created. But the world has stepped in now and has all of these heretical arguments about evolution. Why? Because they're trying to cut off the roots of the Word of God. Where does the Word of God begin? It begins in eternity past. But today we find out that it begins in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Another uh, uh, argument or a heresy that's going around is is that, well, there wasn't really a real Adam and a real Eve. Those are just uh, symbolic of the beginning of time. Well, the problem with that, and we'll see this today, is that Adam is in Jesus' bloodline. Like when you go to Jesus' family tree, Adam's there. And so why do you think that the natural man wants to cut Adam out and say he didn't exist? 
That's exactly right. They don't want to recognize a creator who created one man and one woman and that all of creation has come from that one man. All of humanity has come from that one man and that one woman. And so these statements are very important because they point us back to Scripture and help us to understand what God has really done. So let's look at those paragraphs together and then we'll, we'll look at our handout. Um, so it says, in the beginning, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was pleased to create or make the world and all things in it, both the visible and the invisible, in, six, in a six-day period, and all very good. He did this to manifest the glory of his eternal power, his wisdom, and his goodness. All right? After God made all the other creatures, he created humanity. He made them male and female with rational and immortal souls, thereby making them suited to that life lived unto God for which they were created. They were made in the image of God, being endowed with knowledge and righteousness and true holiness. They had the law of God written in their hearts and the power to fulfill it. Even so, they could still transgress the law because they were left to the liberty of their own will, which was subject to change. In addition to the law written in their hearts, they received a command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As long as they obeyed this command, they were happy in their communion with God and had dominion over all creation. All right, so that's our creation statement. And you can see that the, the writers of this statement uh, were making sure that we understand the creation narrative. And it is a narrative. It is a historical narrative. What do I mean by that? To say it is a historical narrative. When I read the book of Genesis, we, we're almost done. We got two more weeks left in, right, two weeks? left in the book of Genesis in our Bible study on Monday nights, we have been reading a historical narrative. What does that mean? It's historical, it's true, and it's a story, a narrative. It tells a story about a people. And so the book of Genesis is not an allegory. It is not a metaphor. It is a true historical narrative. And one of the first things that fallen man is going to try to do is take away the historicity or the story. He's going to do whatever he can do to wipe that out. All right, so let's go back through this paragraph, these paragraphs really quickly. And just, I want to bring up a couple of points to you. Guys, I, I, I like to talk a lot and do a lot of talking. If you have something you want to bring up, please speak up. Like, raise your hand. Like, I will acknowledge you. I don't want to talk over anybody. If you have a question, a concern, or a comment. So in 4.1, it says this. In the beginning, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was pleased to create and make the world and all things in it. All right, in the beginning. That immediately brings our minds to where? Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Not only that, but it says it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That takes me to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
in him was light, and that life was the light of men. That light shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. So immediately that makes me, brings me to the fact that in the beginning is when time started, God said, let there be light. And when I say God, it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that were involved in the creation. God said. What, what do we do when we say something? What do we use? Words, right? God spoke. And his word said what? Let there be light. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And it said, and there was a, the Spirit of God hovered over the chaos, hovered over the darkness, and said, let there be light, let there be order. And he spoke creation into existence. Now, it says, he did these things and made all the world both visible and invisible. What does that mean to say that he made all of the visible things and all of the invisible things? Yeah, okay. So what is something that I can see that he created? Right? There's a little kid song. I I sent it to y'all guys. It says, for our good and for his glory, God made me and you. God made me and you. So I can see the things that God made around me. But there are also invisible things that God created. Give me an example of something invisible that God created. Gravity. The laws of nature are invisible. We can see their effects, but we can't see them. We're going to see in today in our sermon, the wind. wind. Right? The wind is something they created. I can't see it. I can see it blowing through the trees, but I can't see wind. All right, good. Uh, uh, Something else, and it's very important. The angels. Demons are fallen angels, right? God created all of the angels. And so we need to understand the Jehovah Witnesses will tell you that Jesus is Michael the archangel. Well, what is the problem with that? An angel is a created being. And so if Jesus is a created being, they have just cut the roots off of the fact that he is the creator. Not only that, angels do not bleed. And without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. So if Jesus is an angel, that means he didn't pour his blood out on that cross to pay for our sins. Our Muslim friends will tell you uh, they have a a docetic view of the uh, uh, crucifixion. Docetism means it seems like. All right. So what they say is that Jesus was actually sitting up. The real Jesus was actually sitting up on a hill. While the, the men were nailing what they seemed to think was the real body of Christ. Jesus was up on a hill laughing at them while they were doing that. It just seemed like he was being nailed to the cross. Well, why? Because as long as it wasn't a real body and real blood being poured out there, then the scriptures aren't being fulfilled. And so God created all of the visible things and the invisible things. And he created them in a six-day period. Now, there are a lot of people that will tell you, and I know pastors of very prominent churches here in Savannah who will tell you that the six days is symbolic of a long time. Right? And there are a lot of good people that believe that. They believe that the Genesis chapter 1 is actually billions of years 
And then we get into chapter 3 and we start with more modern time. Why? Because they can't grasp the reality that God created the mountains and the whole earth in six days. Like, it's too big. It's impossible for him to do that. But remember, Genesis is a historical narrative. It's telling us that there are actually six days. And we'll get into that when we, when we talk a little bit in the handout I give you there. So, everything was good. Everything that God created is good. When he created Lucifer, the son of the morning, right? When he created Lucifer, his highest archangel, did he create Lucifer evil? No, he created him good. He was the, Lucifer, Satan, is the highest being, highest created being in all of creation. He was the archangel, the most powerful created being in all of creation. And when God told him from now on you'd crawl on your uh, belly and eat dirt, that was actually metaphorical because what it's saying is he's now gone from the highest of all of creation to crawling around with the worms and the snakes, the lowest of the low. He'd fallen. And so he created everything good. He did this to manifest his glory his eternal power, his wisdom, and his goodness. So he created all of this to glorify himself, to express his eternal power, his wisdom, and his goodness. And you can see that as we attack the creation narrative, we're attacking the power of God, the glory of God, the wisdom of God, and the goodness of God. You see how that works? When people are attacking that, they're trying to chop away at God's glory, God's wisdom, God's goodness, God's power. So, paragraph 2 says this. After God made all the other creatures, uh, he created, uh, and remember, he created light first, and then he created the sun, the moon, the stars on like the third day, second, second, the third day. Think about that. He created light, and then three days later, he hung the sun, moon, stars. That's kind of hard for us to grasp too, isn't it? Because all we've ever known is the light of the sun. But there's a light beyond that. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that in the eternal kingdom, when we inherit the eternal kingdom, there's not going to be a sun and a moon anymore. There's going to be no need for that because he is the light. Can you imagine we're going to be in a place where there's no such thing as a shadow? Think about that. Everything is going to be all light. No shadows. Right? Wayne, we won't have to go out and, and trim the... What are, what are them trees called again? Uh, crape myrtles. We won't have to go and trim the crape myrtles anymore. Won't that be a wonderful thing? We won't have to rake leaves. There's not going to be anything dead. And it'll be wonderful. So he created everything. He created humanity after that. So he set up the whole of creation and then he planted man in that creation to rule and reign over it with a rational and immortal soul. What does it mean to say that we have a rational soul? We think rationally. We, we live rationally. Well, we don't do that nowadays, do we? Remember when God created us, he said, it is good. Everything that God created, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. Does anybody remember what the first thing he said is not good in the Bible? It is not good for the man to be alone. Right? That's the first time he said it's not good. All right? And so uh, he 
made them suited to the life lived for God for which they were created. Uh, the Heidelberg Catechism is from Germany. It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I'm actually hoping to incorporate that in our statement on our webpage. Whitmarsh Island Baptist Church, glorifying God and enjoying him forever. That's why we were created. Amen. We were created to glorify him and enjoy him. Not just today and not just yesterday and not tomorrow, but forever. All right, so what is the difference in immortal and eternal Immortal means you never die. So you were created with an immortal soul. What does that mean? You're not right. Even in death, you're going to experience eternal death if you do not know Christ. You're going to die forever. But what is the difference in immortal? So immortal means we don't die. What is eternal? Right. So God created us with immortal souls, but not eternal souls. What does that mean? It means that even though God is eternal and he knew you eternally, there, came, there was a time when you were not. He created you. He created you with an immortal soul that will not die. But there was a time when you weren't. We are immortal souls, but we are not eternal souls. That's, only, that's God's place. He's the only one eternal. All right, so they were made in the image of God, being endowed with knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness. They had the law of God written in their hearts. That's a very important statement. And the power to fulfill it. Not only did they know all of God's laws, just by nature they knew them. But they also had the power to do it. Even so, they could still transgress the law, even though they knew the law, and even though they had the power to do it, God gave them the liberty of their own will. Now, we talk about this, we've talked about this in the past, and I hear everybody say it, we have free will. Well, at that time, Adam and Eve truly did have free will. They could choose to do what they wished to do. But what we're going to find in a later chapter, after the fall that will has been lost. We, we don't have the ability anymore to choose correctly because of our fallen nature. We, the law of God that we have in our hearts, and we still have it in our hearts, but it's blurred and marred and distorted. And not only that, I don't have the power to do it anymore. We'll see that later as well. I want to do the right things, but I find myself doing the wrong things. And no matter how hard I want to try to do right, I wind up doing wrong. And that is, so that bondage of the will is something that God's salvation restores to us. It brings us back and gives us the ability and the strength to live in his will. But it says they could transgress uh, and they were subject to change. Okay? Now, the last paragraph, and then we'll get into the handout I gave you there. In addition to the law written in their hearts... They received a command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. As long as they obeyed this command, they were happy in their communion with God and they had dominion over the creatures. So God put a law, his law, his will, 
God put his will in their hearts. But he also gave them a law, an external law outside of their hearts that said what? Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. So that was not a law that was in their hearts. That was an external law that God placed out there and said, don't do this. All right, so um, again, I want to encourage you to go back, read these paragraphs yourself and break them down just like I did on your own. Take some time and think about what it's saying to you and most importantly, chase down these Bible verses that it's referencing because these guys didn't just pull this stuff out of the air. They're, they're using the scriptures of their foundation of the statements that they're making. Okay. Now, with that said, let's turn uh, to the handout that I gave you for today because we're going to try to go through this whole chapter just today. Like we're going to finish creation today. We got 15 minutes, Lord willing, we can do it. All right. So of creation, number one, we've already spoke about this. Creation is literal. It really happened. It's not metaphorical, it's real. God really did say, let there be light. The scripture assumes a literal interpretation. There's just an assumption made that what he's given us in that historic narrative is literal facts. God created the world in a literal six days. Again, we've already talked about that. Genesis is a historical narrative, all right? And then you notice I put Adam, Abraham, Christ, right? It's a historical narrative, and it teaches us that we all came from Adam. One of the things, I I shared this with y'all guys in the past, one of the things working with kids, especially the the six, four, five, six to 12, 13-year-olds, when you see the light come on in their head, when they realize that all of us came from one man and one woman, you, you ought to see the lights come on. That means you're my brother. Yeah, it certainly does. Yeah, we're all, and, and red and yellow, black and white, right? And so what we learned is, is that God created one man and one woman, and they were darker skinned because they were on the equator, and as man grew away from the equator and started going up to Iceland and Greenland and going down to, to South America and Antarctica, and what happened to our skin color? They started getting lighter because we adapted to the amount of sun that we were getting. You see? And so the reality is, is all of the racial strife that we have in this world is because of our fallen irrational natures. God created us rational beings. And we become irrational by pointing out different races, right? The Jewish people have a problem with that in Scripture, do they not? We're going to see this as they're confronting Jesus. What is their problem? We're God's people. You're the goy. You're the dogs. And by their irrationality, they reject their salvation. And then God turns to the dogs and saves them. And the purpose for that is to promote the children of Israel, the jealousy, say, wait a minute, that's our God. Y'all can't have him. He's our Messiah. And according to God's word, many of them are going to turn back to him as well. But we have two families there, don't we? We have the Adams family, the creepy and spooky, mysterious and kooky, all together, ooky, they're Adams family, right? That's us. We're Adams kids. But today in our sermon, we're going to learn that we have to be born again and we have to be born into the family of God. 
two different families, two different kingdoms. And so we see that uh, Adam, Abraham, Christ. Now, to point out, I, I got two verse, one verse there and two statements I want to make to point out to you that creation is literal. Number one, there's a specific location of Eden and where it was. In between the Tigris and the Euphrates, where the rivers cross there, right? Or come together there. It's called Mesopotamia. If, if you're a natural historian, you go to your history class, Mesopotamia, right? Well, meso means in the midst of, and potamus is uh, Latin or Greek for river. Yeah. Hippopotamus, hippopotamus. Hippo means horse. And Potomac means river. So a hippopotamus is a what? A river horse. That's where he got his name from. Well, Mesopotamia is the land between the rivers. And it's a literal place. It's a real place that actually is there. Um, Not only that, let's look at Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Uh, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. All right, this is God giving his law to the children of Israel. Look what it says next. Six days you will labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughters or your male or your female servants or your cattle or your sojourners who stay with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So when did God establish the Sabbath? At creation. After he had worked for six days, he rested on the Sabbath. Now, we as Christians say, well, we're not under the Jewish law, so we don't have to honor the Sabbath. The problem with that is the Sabbath, the Sabbath day is one of the Ten Commandments. And those Ten Commandments are not civil, like wearing mixed clothing or not eating pork. Those are civil laws. The Ten Commandments are the laws. And what we'll find out as we study Scripture is the Ten Commandments are the laws written out in stone. What God had originally written on the heart of man. And so these do not change. Civil laws change. But the law of God does not change. Now... There are a lot of people in the LGBTQH crowd that will say, well, the homosexuality laws were those people in that time. We're in a different time now. Well, the problem with that is, is that, yes, those civil laws that the Jewish people had were temporary laws for the people of Israel. But God also said in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. Homosexuality is adultery. It's fornication. Why do you think the homosexual crowd is trying to make sure that their marriages are legal and observed? Because then they're not committing adultery. You see, that's back in the background of why they're doing this. But the laws of God are eternal and they were written on man's heart. And so we see that. And what did that tell us? It said God used six days to create the earth and on the seventh day he rested now God doesn't get tired but he when it says that God rested what it means is this it is finished I've done everything I needed to do it's in place 
it is, it's, I'm going to rest now. There's nothing more for me to create. I don't have to get the tails off of men because I didn't create them with tails. I, I, I've set everything in place like it needs to be set. And not only that, so and, uh, I don't know if you know this, guys, but we're actually created to work six days. Now, we have a five-day work week here, and I can tell you that if I were to tell uh, the, uh, the working crowd here in the United States that we need to start working six days, they start a rebellion. Most people want to cut it back to a four-day work week. Did you know, and I'm not, I'm, this is not a brag or a boast, but for about the past 10 or 12 years, I've worked six days a week. And I've actually had just as much energy and just as much health as I had when I worked a five-day work week. Matter of fact, when I worked a five-day work week, my problem was I went out on Saturdays and Sundays and lived like hell and felt like hell all the next week at work. But God established that pattern, and I prayed to him when I started working a six-day work week about 10 years ago. I said, God, this is going to kill me. But if it's your will, you give me the strength to do what you've called me to do, and I'll do it. And you know what? He, he has. And so, you know, you guys work on Saturdays, too, whether you know it or not. When you're driving down to Orlando to take your kids to Disney World or you're taking a kid to a soccer match, that's work. Believe me. Like, it wears you out. It's, sometimes it's more stressful work than it is just to go to work and be left alone, you know. But the reality is God establishes. He established that commandment, and he based it on the literal six days that he created the earth and on the seventh day that he rested. He established that Sabbath for us, and it's based on a literal creation. All right. So, number two, man is created in God's image. The word image means a replica likeness, to look like something else. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Yeah. I heard a, little, a smart Alec Lutheran pastor one time, he, uh, some woman said, well, God's not a man, you know, he's a woman. And, uh, and the Lutheran pastor said, no, no, God was circumcised on the eighth day. Like, like he made that, as a, he was being a smart Alec about it, but the reality is, is that the man and the woman are one. God created them to be one. He pulled Eve out of Adam's side. But he created us in his image. Now, in the fall, and we're going to learn this later, God's image was marred, damaged, distorted, and made inaccurate in the fall. So God created us to be an expression of him on this earth. We were to rule and to reign over all of nature. But now that we have fallen, we can't do what he created us to do anymore. Now the nature rules over us. Believe me, if it gets hot and we ain't got no air conditioner, we melt, right? Creation now rules over us instead of us ruling over it. And so let's look at that passage of scripture there in James 3, 9. It said, with our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and with them we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. All right, so that image is restored in regeneration and glorification. So a part of the saving process of God reaching down in this world and saving a people for himself is that he reaches down and restores to us what we lost in Adam. And he plants that restoration inside of us. And now for the rest of the eternity, that image is going to continue to grow and grow and be more like God again. You see how that works? We are being conformed to the image of Christ who is the image of God. All right? So let's look at that passage, Colossians 3, verses 9 through 13. Don't lie to one another. All right? 
How do you feel today? Oh, I'm fine. I, I guarantee somebody's going to tell me that today, and they're ready to kick the cat and scream at the world, right? Don't lie. Uh, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, all right, that's what we did. Remember when we got baptized? We said, God, I'm going to live for you from now on. I'm going to die to myself and live for you. And have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So we're created in his image. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew and circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, humility, gentleness, and patience. So the children of God are now clothed in Christ, and we should be a, a representation of God's image here on the earth. And then what does it say? Bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also you should do. Yes. You see what he's saying? When God saves us and restores us and brings salvation to us, it is a gift to us that we can now go out and do what he created us to do before we fell. And as we grow in our knowledge of him, as we, we allow his spirit to conform us to his image, as we walk with him and we trust and obey him, what happens is, is we become more and more Christ-like. Because he is restoring within us what we were before we fell in Adam. And then he said, okay, so we are to reflect his image in this world. The, the nation of Israel was created to be a light to the world. And instead of using that light to shine God's glory, his, his goodness, his forgiveness, his uh, wisdom, his power, everything about him, instead of using it to do that for him, they made it about themselves. And we in the church do the same things, guys. God created us to be his light, and we want everybody to look at us. Yes. Right? We love to be the center of attention. All right, so number three. This is going to be important later on in the creed. It says man is a dichotomy. He has a body and a soul. Remember God created them male and female. Males and females have bodies. And it's obvious immediately, right? The doctor never has to scratch his head and say, what is this? He says, it is a boy or she is a, he is a boy or she is a girl. And there's no, uh, there's no doubt. He doesn't even have to be a doctor to do that. Like the mommy or the daddy can walk in a room and go, I have a son. I have a daughter. And so one of the things you see in the world around us today is we're trying to mar that image of how God created. But he created us with a body. Let's look at those two passages of scripture. Matthew 10, 28 says, uh, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. We are a dichotomy. We have a body and a soul. Next it says... In James 2.26, for just as the body is, uh, the body without the spirit is dead, so also is faith without works. It's dead too. So we have a body and we have a soul. He created us that way. We are a dichotomy. That means we're two parts. Implications for this doctrine uh, apply to the, interme- uh, the immediate, uh, intermediate state. All right. We know when we plant our loved ones in the ground... That their soul is where? Already with the Lord. You see? Death 
rips that beauty of what God created. We were created body and soul. He created the man out of the clay, breathed breath in, in him. And through sin and death, that, that, the beauty of that is ripped apart. So it's important for the eternal state. There's a goodness in bodily functions and desires, right? There's a goodness in bodily functions and desires. God gave us an appetite for a reason. God gives us appetites for when he created us, we had these appetites, and they're good appetites. There's nothing wrong for a husband and a wife desiring one another physically. The problem comes when I desire somebody else's husband or wife physically. In my fallen state, I take the natural, beautiful desires that God has given me and turn them to my good instead of his good. And turn them to my good instead of my neighbor's good. You see? So tonight when I go home and I eat my bluebell, I'm going to think about teaching you guys this this morning. I'm going to cut back to two scoops instead of three, maybe. (laughs) I can't promise you that. But we have natural appetites, and those appetites are not wrong in themselves. They're not evil in themselves. But in our fallen nature, we take the appetites that God has given to us, and we distort them. You see how that works? All right. There is action and coaction between the body and spirit. I'm not going to have time to go to those, Billy. I, I won't have, I got to get this last paragraph done. Um, let's look at this last one. So these are these four topics. Creation is literal. Man is created in God's image. Man is a dichotomy. And last of all, these are the four things that are talked about in what we've studied today. Uh, the moral and positive law. Now, uh, moral law or natural law, uh, that is the Ten Commandments. That is what God placed on Adam and Eve's heart in the garden before they fell. It was literally a part of who they were. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. Honor God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbors yourself. Those natural laws were naturally in the heart of Adam and Eve. And, and then when they fell... It, that natural law gets distorted. Let's look at that Romans 15. You got that one, Billy, in that Romans 2, 14 and 15? Look at this. For, now, he's talking to Jews, and he says, For the Gentiles who do not have the law, they do instinctively the things that the law says. These not having the law are a law unto themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts and their consciences, bearing witness in their thoughts, eternally acu- alternately accusing or else defending them. Now, this is what he's saying. He's, he's chiding the Jewish people saying, you had the law and you know that it's wrong to commit adultery and y'all are running around sleeping around on your wives and these Gentiles, these barbarians are keeping faithful to their wives. They don't even have the law and the law that's in their heart is, is guiding them and showing them that, and they know in their conscience that it's wrong. A person out in the world who is lost, a lost person, has a conscience, and the natural law is within them because they try to hide when they do something wrong. Their conscience already shows that they know that they're doing something wrong. You see? All right, so the moral law, the natural law, Christ fulfilled and suffered and died for our inability to keep it. And he did it when we couldn't. Last, and then we're done. Besides the moral law, we see, receive commands. These are called positive laws. They're added to the laws written on the heart. The covenant of works, the Sabbath laws, the civil and the cultic laws. So the natural law is the Ten Commandments. That was written on Adam's heart. Well, later on, what did God give to the children of Israel? He gave them the Levitical sacrificial system, their cultic laws. 
He gave them, this is the way you dress, this is the way you talk, this is the way you eat. This is the way that you treat one another. If somebody steals from you, they pay back to you four times. All of those are positive laws. They're good laws, and they were given to a people for a time, but those laws are subject to change. The natural laws do not change the positive laws do. And so this last statement, you see that covenant of works. A covenant is a promise or a, a contract between two people. God gave Adam and Eve a covenant of works in the garden. This is what he said. As long as you live and do what I've commanded you to do, keep the natural laws and don't eat from that tree, you have my blessing. You walk with me. But he gave them this covenant. And so Adam and Eve said, okay. Well, and, but the problem was is they were not able because of their choice. They turned away from the covenant of works and said, we'll do what we want to do. And by doing that, they broke the covenant. And so the covenant of works can never save us as people because we're not able to keep it. Whatever commandment, God can make it just one commandment. Don't eat from that tree and we'll break it. Whether he gives us 10 or 635 or 6 million commandments, our problem is is that with the covenant of works, we're not able, able to uphold our end of it. So Christ came and fulfilled the covenant of works and now gives us something called a covenant of grace. He forgives us for what we have done when we broke the covenant of works and he graciously gives to us the goodness and the fact that he earned it. He did everything that his father commanded him. He kept the covenant of works and so he shares with us his goodness and ability to keep that. See how that works? Okay, good. Well, we'll finish with that. Um, I hope this gives you a lot to think about, and I do pray that you will go home and read these paragraphs, think about them. But not only that, make sure that you get into these scriptures that are referenced here and think about, because these, these statements here about the creation and about the natural law on our hearts and all this, this is all going to play out the rest of the time as we're studying through the scriptures. Like these things apply forever and ever. We're going to see it today in our sermon. Uh, Jesus said, uh, that which is flesh is flesh, that which is spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. Well, remember what we just talked about a minute ago? The human body is a dichotomy. It is both a body and a soul or a spirit. And so Jesus is saying there's a body and there's a spirit. The problem is, is that as Adam's kids, our spirit... And our body have both fallen away from him. And so God has to step in and save us and restore that body and that spirit. Well, if you're in this room today and you are a believer, he's already restored your spirit. He's placed within you that new eternal life. And one day you'll get a body to go along with it. So you see how these things play out like as we study? Okay, let's close. We got got like seven minutes more. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the beauty of your creation, for your wisdom, your power, uh, your glory, for all that you've done so that we can know you and love you and walk with you. 
We do recognize that we fall short every day, but we are thankful for your grace and your mercy to restore us to your image. And I just pray that in the service to come that we will think more on these things and that you will use your words, your truth, to conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.